0: Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy senior reporter Hilary Milnes, and with me this week is Anna LeCat, CEO and founder of Leilune, a sustainable direct-to-consumer brand. Thank you for joining us, Anna. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course, uh, hear a little bit you're you're based in san francisco we're in new york we usually have people come in but we're doing it by by skype this week so uh <laughs> it's a nice uh cross-country conversation
1: yes well i appreciate it i appreciate that you uh, that you, you're willing to do it over skype it's uh kind of hectic here uh, we also have an um, office in Paris and in Shanghai so it's a lot of traveling.
0: Yeah I'm sure uh, you guys are very global um, so why don't you just give us a little bit of background about Leilun uh, why you decided to launch the brand and just what you guys are all about.
1: So we've been around for five years uh, I started this brand um, five years ago I was uh, actually uh, traveling a lot um, I have another business out of China I actually lived in China for 16 years running supply chains for many luxury brands in Europe and United States in fashion and also in other industries. And so five years ago, I was traveling around and uh, um, always on the plane, always on the go. And I wanted to have something comfortable to wear, super comfortable that, uh, that can take me also to board meeting, to meeting with a customer or to a nice dinner in Paris. And so um, that's where Lilun was born. Uh, we found this amazing fabric that's rain from bamboo. It's super soft and comfortable, but at the same time, drapes nicely. has a very elegant look. And so that, that that's how we started.
0: Great. And so you guys are, are you manufacture all of your, your products in, in Shanghai and China. Is that right?
1: Yes. We actually have our own factory in Shanghai that produces only for Lilun.
0: Great. And you also, you mentioned the fabric that you found with with bamboo. And it was that a proprietary fabric that you created for the brand?
1: We actually, um, we didn't make it proprietary. It's available for others. Uh, we've worked for two years to develop the right blend. In the fabric market, it's usually not advisable to do something proprietary. Um, so it's, uh, it's a rain of, of, from bamboo with a little bit of um, lycra there for, for a nice stretch.
0: Awesome, and that's and that is that every product in your in your collection is made from this fabric.
1: So right now we actually work with three different fabrics. We work with rayon from bamboo, the knitted rayon. We also have one hundred percent knitwear, one hundred percent bamboo knitwear, and also woven fabric from bamboo.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So why open your own factory? Were you searching um, around for for something that you weren't finding at other factories, um, or was it just the level of control that you wanted to have over the production process?
1: control is definitely the right word the keyword here Uh, because of my experience in china i understand chinese manufacturing really well Um, i know many artisan level facilities in china that produce high quality products that's always been my passion is to find those factories and to bring them business from europe and united states so i have a very good network now, when I started Lilun, I initially wanted to outsource production to other factories. But because it's uh, it's pretty difficult to deal with this material, it's very soft. It's, uh, it, it's uh, it takes a lot of work to make sure that um, the, the the items are produced at uh, the right quality level.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so um, to make sure we can control it from beginning to end, we started our own factory. We also started with lingerie which is usually more difficult to produce than ready-to-wear, um, requires more, more technical skills from seamstresses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we knew that we were going to also expand then to ready-to-wear and to menswear, so we wanted to hold it all in-house and to make sure that we train our seamstresses well and to also hold that uh, um, savoir-faire uh, within our factory.
0: All right, absolutely. So all of the products and collections are made from start to finish um, in, this, in your factory? Right. Uh, awesome. And so, th- I mean, I think that's that's pretty rare for, for a fashion brand. Usually there's, there's like limitations that, that you hit when it comes to resources at one specific location for manufacturing. So has that um, affected how you've grown the brand or, you know, is it just keeping that in mind that you want to keep it in this one location or is it just sort of um, grown naturally that way?
1: We're actually on purpose keeping it all in one location for now so that we can control the quality. We also want to make sure that we approach it ethically and that we overall, uh, the, the core of the brand and the philosophy of the brand is to approach, um, to control uh, everything we're doing and to um, work with our team as if it's our, as if it's our family. And so it's much easier to accomplish that if uh, these are our employees, uh, other than outsourcing to other factories.
0: I absolutely. And and you said you have a, a long history of, um, you know, learning about manufacturing in, in China and working over there. So can you just walk us through um, where the industry is now and, and how it's evolved over the years? I think, you know, there's a negative made in China connotation that's that's persisted for a while. But um obviously i think that things have the things have changed and so you know how would you describe the industry today what's what's it like um, on the manufacturing side in china right now
1: it's a great question uh, and i because i've spent so many years in china i i've seen industry change uh, very drastically uh, you know how in uh, 1997 1998 starting from that time uh, there were many us companies that went to china to produce low cost uh, It was, uh, this move was led by Walmart and with their, you know, planned obsolescence uh, philosophy, um, Chinese, many Chinese factories were asked to produce low cost, low quality products. And so that's where... I think that this is where it all started, where um, there was so much business going to Chinese factories. And uh, um, the only way to capture this business was to stay low cost. Now, um, with uh, companies like like Walmart, it's not just... uh, I would say that it's something that's beyond low cost. There are such small, such low margins that are allowed for manufacturers that there is no um, space there for factories to grow. Uh, There is um, no space for for factories to take care of their employees uh, correctly, to Mm -hmm. have uh, right uh, standards of facilities and safety. And there is absolutely no way for those factories to produce something of good quality. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, what happened was that It's mainly these major American companies and as such, us American consumers that ask Chinese uh, factories to produce uh, such low-quality products. And uh, so I kind of think that we are uh, responsible for the stigma that uh, we currently have. Made in China means cheap um, and uh, low-quality. If we step back and we... um, We'll look at what's been always happening in China with manufacturing. They have a very long history of product innovation and of producing excellent products. Um, I always uh, saw China as the same as kind of a French, how things are done in French fashion houses and has always been done. There is a, this knowledge that's been forwarded from generation to generation. There is a transmission of software warfare and consideration is very high for for crafting, for, um, for high-quality products crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting to see is that that continues in China in domestic market. If we look at what's happening in domestic market, local brands in China produce those high-quality products for Chinese consumers. And... Uh, um, the, the same stigma as we here have for made in China means cheap and low quality goes for Chinese consumers when they say, oh, if this is done for US market, we're not going to buy it. We're only going to buy things that are made by Chinese factories for Chinese consumer because we know it's going to be high quality and excellent product.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So that's so it's almost like the, the reverse um, connotation in China when it's, like products for america they're they're kind of trying to move away from that
1: absolutely and so there are actually factories that have different departments and one is going to be producing for us market and it's going to be um low skill set low quality production there and then there's going to be another department that's going to be producing high quality products with a higher skilled la- uh, labor for chinese market
0: well so when you were opening your factory what did you come up against any friction or obstacles um, when it came to wanting to keep it a, a sustainable brand and a, and a direct-to-consumer brand, how how hard was it to, to open that up? Or was it already where the industry there was was headed, at least with the made-in-China-for-China China side?
1: It's absolutely where the industry is heading there. Chinese government spent so much uh Resources and attention, making sure that uh, uh, what the, whoever is opening up new facilities are, are thinking about um, local communities. They're thinking about uh, meeting all the labor laws and all, all the human rights laws, and uh, making sure that they're taking care of the ecosystem around the factories. And so, it's it's um, they're absolutely on the same page with that. Um, it goes the, the same goes for our fabric uh, source. Uh, where there is a lot of uh, a lot of attention has been paid uh, to to ecology, which is a very big big part of sustainability, mm-hmm. and to also um, ethical practices.
0: Wow, that's um, that's so interesting. And, and when you were looking for a place to open your factory, did you know it was going to be China for these reasons, or were you looking um, in Paris um, in Europe as well?
1: Well, uh, it was obvious for us that it's going to be China because bamboo. Comes from China, right? Right. right. did not want to go into this conversation of moving uh, materials around and then uh, contributing even more to global warming by you know by flying things around. <laughs> yeah. And so we wanted to concentrate on, on one location, and we love this fabric, so, so that, that, that that's where it was coming from. Also, because of this uh, legacy and and the craftsmanship that exists in China, there are amazing seamstresses in Shanghai, for example, mm-hmm. that. Uh, that you know that that carry that legacy from generation to generation. So it makes sense to use their skill sets and to learn from them, other than the, um, going somewhere else. I also personally uh, love China, and you know I've been there since I'm 18 years old, and I have passion for this country and for the people who work very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I myself come from Ukraine, so it's um, um, you know I I, I have. Uh, I, I have a, um, this special passion for people who who need jobs, right. um, who who are willing to to work very hard to feed their families and to you know to contribute.
0: So whenever you were, were looking for or thinking about you know the the start of the brand um, and just sort of comparing markets, even since it is such a global brand, where does the the Ameri- the American manufacturing industry kind of play into this? Do you think that you could so, say if you're trying, you know, using a different fabric that maybe wasn't sourced in China, do you think that what you're doing over there would have been possible here?
1: Absolutely. I think that, and, and we are looking at that as well. Um, we would love to um, also do part of our manufacturing in United States and to sub- support communities here. Um, so as long as there is, um, as long as, and we are looking, we're definitely looking for interesting fabrics that fit in, into our brand philosophy of, of comfort and uh, usability and, fun- and high functionality. Uh, I think that overall we could have done it anywhere, as long as uh, we can uh, pay maximum attention and control everything we do. Mm-hmm.
0: So when it when you have that much control over the um, production cycle, how how long does it take to get something from uh, you know design to production to actually being distributed to the customers? What are you what are you looking at there?
1: So it actually depends on uh, uh, what we want. We can speed it up or take it as slow as as necessary based on on our market and on the product category. So we can uh, go from probably from three months from development, uh, from from design to uh, inventory being in the United States to up to a year if it's a more complicated uh, structure. Um, because we're dealing with Jersey and we're connected Jersey with lace, with very soft lace, uh, it takes some time to figure out technically how to do it uh, correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we have some of our evening wear that, that took uh, up to half a year to develop and to complete.
0: Yeah, I'm sure um, that takes a, a bit longer. Uh, what, what's an example right. of some things that are on the, on the faster track side that you kind of just want to get out to consumers?
1: So uh our our as leisure collection so leggings and t-shirts uh that, that would be much faster to get to consumers. Mm-hmm. So what happens with us is that uh, design comes from our Paris office. Uh, it, uh, the patterns are made in Paris. We send pattern to our sample room in Shanghai. The developer sample sample goes back to Paris with all the fitting in Paris because of the knowledge of fitting and pattern making in Paris is outstanding, mm-hmm. and we want to use that and uh, to take advantage of, of, of all the you know all the school of parisian school of fashion right Um, and so then we do all the fitting here uh, there in paris and then send them back to shanghai to then go into production
0: really interesting and so how uh able are you to respond to consumers and and you know what how they're responding to your to your product is it is it kind of that um if you need it to be kind of like a knee-jerk reaction like something needs tweaked or you know people are asking for something in a a specific style in a different color, are you able to to react very quickly if you need to?
1: Absolutely, and we do. We actually, uh, we're using Slack in in all our stores uh, uh, where all our stylists are immediately uh, record all the requests that customers are making and goes into our our Paris office, uh, monitors it daily. And uh, so if there are any tweaks or any color, uh, special colors that uh, people are asking for, uh, we are able to put it in, in, in our product cycle right away.
0: So, yeah, that's a good way to use it. Um, and it's interesting as I've, you know, in, in sort of poking around and, and, and reading up on, on Leilun before this podcast, um, you guys are, are categorized as slow fashion, but it doesn't sound like you're moving very slow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. I think that uh, when we say slow fashion, what, what we see uh, our part in that is that we're not exactly um, following trends. Uh, we are more uh, thinking of that core wardrobe. Mm-hmm. That the customer is looking for, um, so our colors are going to be more classical colors that will go uh, that will last, for, you know, will stay in the wardrobe for many years.
0: Okay, so it's it's not slow on the um, production side; it's slow on wanting to slow down customer behavior. Correct. Uh, and so, how do you how do you slow down customer behavior when when companies like Azara and H and M just just keep growing? You know, how do you where do you where do you position yourself with with them and sort of you know what? What? How do you appeal to customers, and you know, make this alternative uh, to buying things that last, and um, you know, buying things that are a little bit less trend driven? How do you, you know, how do you drive that appeal?
1: Uh, we see that the customer is currently more and more asking for that, so um, they are. I think it used to be that um, it's a, it was a different age group that that started thinking about core wardrobe items and, and buying the things to last. So it would start from 30, 35. Now we see in our customer base is getting younger and, and millennials are coming in who are 20, 25 years old and, and say, I want this item to stay in my wardrobe for a long time. I don't want to throw it out. There's also a big conversation of uh, sustainability. Customers are coming in asking where the products are made, how they're made, how much work we do to make sure that we don't hurt the the planet uh, any further. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's a consumer-driven behavior.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think the, the next thing that comes up on that topic is accessibility of price. I think a lot of people would would like to invest in in long-lasting items and and kind of pull away from the fast fashion cycle of of just like sort of, you know, buying and throwing out, but you know the the prices are sometimes um, you know, in unavoidable depending on the budget that you have. So, how do you how do you work around your your pricing and obviously a direct to consumer model um helps to keep prices down, but um, you know, do you do you consider your collection to be accessible or are you you know, how, how do you find ways to to make sure costs are as low as possible?
1: Well, because of, uh, you're absolutely right, because of our direct to consumer model and because of, of us controlling our manufacturing, um, we, um, we are pretty accessible price wise. Uh, so far, we have not uh, seen uh, any um, negative feedback about our pricing uh, from our customers. In fact, it's the other way around, and uh, we see consumers coming in in our stores, and looking at the prices, and say, Wow, we didn't re- we did not realize it was going to be so low.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, And when it comes to being like a sustainable brand, do you think that there's a lot of noise in the market right now of brands that claim to be sustainable or, you know, it's sister buzzword transparent? Um, and how do you cut through that and, and sort of demonstrate what you guys are all about and, and show that you are, you know, dedicated to the sustainable space?
1: Well, we constantly tell our story. And we uh, we have events in our stores all the time, almost weekly events, um, to to talk about uh, to talk about China, to talk about our factory. Uh, we blog. We talk about it on social media. So it's a it's a constant conversation with our customer mm-hmm. about who we are and and how to do it, how we do it. And you know, overall, I think it's great that there are so many brands in this space. Uh, and I, I hope that there will be even even more because the more uh, the, the the more brands go into the space, the more it's going to be a standard operating procedure. And this is how uh, everybody will be will be doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. And but do you find that customers are are skeptical at all of a brand that claims to be sustainable? Do you think that there's some like uh, like skepticism to overcome when you're when you're talking with customers?
1: The only skepticism that we currently see is about made in China. It's a true, it's a real stigma that we are fighting. We say we fight it with beauty. Uh, it's it's a qu- constant question that is asked, uh, especially here in our in our Californian stores. Uh, um, we see Asian people coming in, Chinese customers coming in, seeing it's made in China, and saying, "Oh, it was made in China for Americans. We're not going to buy it." Mm-hmm. So, to talk about that, it's it's possible to make to do made in China ethically and sustainably is is a conversation that uh, that that that, that we are having. That's a new conversation. Um, and so that's where we see the skepticism, and and, and we need to continue addressing it.
0: Right, absolutely. And, and do you think that that being like a global brand helps that? Because it's it's not just you know China for America. It's a very you know it ha- you have roots in, in in multiple places.
1: Yes, absolutely. And being a Parisian brand and having the aesthetics, uh, French aesthetics that we're showing in our collection and in, in our stores definitely helps that.
0: Are there any other? Um, like global luxury brands that have, that have caught on to this? Um, you know, like what role is China playing in the, in the production of, of like luxury quality goods on a, on a global scale?
1: Well, the truth is China has always been a part of that uh, conversation. It's just that the luxury global brands are not talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I personally with my company, Streamline Alliance, have been supplying many of those top luxury brands uh, from Chinese factories um and it's uh it just it just goes into the into their supply chain and it, you know it gets mixed up with with uh, production from other places and um and, and just it, it continues and it's going to be happening more and more it's just unfortunate that the luxury brands are not not uh, proudly stating that it was made in china because we have the stigma
0: yeah, that doesn't really help to fight the the stigma or challenge it. I'm sure. <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely, but we do have some uh, wonderful brands here in America that are doing it well. There is Everlane that's uh, buying from China and talks. They 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 do a great job uh, talking about the factories that they're using and uh, showing the teams and making m- 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 telling personal stories. There is also Eli Kai that that does great. Uh, she has a Hong Kong team, and they they're they're producing in China. There is also Grana. So I think that. Uh, there are some wonderful brands uh, startups that that um, go in that direction and hopefully um, all together we will, we will make uh, you know we'll we tell the story better and better
0: yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, Everlane because I wanted to ask um, you know going off of, of transparency um, you know I think on the on the cynical side of it it can seem like a like a, a shoe in um, something that brands can say when they're not sustainable, just to sort of, you know, like say like, Oh, Hey, we're trying. And, and this is, this is good enough now, but a transparent business model would be able to sh- like shed light on, on where the clothing is actually coming from. And when it is a place like China and there's this stigma around it that can, that can sort of help sh- uh, change that. And so do you think that in that case, transparency is, is the uh, you know, the, the saving grace almost here?
1: I think uh, what Everlane is doing is wonderful, and that uh, it's great to to go into transparency and show all the way. Um, I personally love uh, the story and how how they tell it and how they show it in pictures and videos. Um, and you know, now in this world, it's it can al- always be checked, uh, right? Right. Uh, we know what happened with with Ivanka Trump factories when the it was checked and and didn't quite check. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um so um again i think that transparency is the same as sustainability i think uh, i hope that more and more brands will go that direction and then we have then we have the uh, great journalists like yourself who who do the checks mm-hmm. who stay who continue staying stay and being cynical it's great
0: absolutely and and um and going off of that do you think that right now like this this political climate in america that's wanting to bring manufacturing jobs back um it's almost as if the, the stigma around made in China might even worsen. And especially in the case you mentioned with, with Ivanka Trump, it's like, oh no, like how, you know, how could you make, make products, you know, overseas when it's supposed to be this, you know, very American um, brand that they're, that they're going for. Uh, do you think that, you know, have, have you seen any shift in, perspe- in perception over the past, even just the last year?
1: Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, the stigma of made in China is is not getting better. It's mm-hmm. actually getting worse. Uh, especially since there are so many, so many brands, uh, in the state that, that take make made in America and make it, uh, use it as their marketing tool to access consumers. And so they are also, uh, there are many that, that have amazing factories in the United States and talk about that. And, and, uh, and I love that. And yet there is also a group of brands that, uh, instead of focusing on what they do well, um talk more about how made in China um, or made in India is not is not something that that, that, that is a um, sustainable way of, of addressing it. Um, I think that, um, I, I, again, we are going to do our best to uh, continue telling our story and to continue ethically producing it in China and uh, also look in, in other places as well, as long as we can control it. Um, uh, and uh, I, I also hope that there are more factories in, in the United States that, that give jobs to our, to our American people.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's an interesting time for, for manufacturing. It's like all eyes on it almost.
1: Absolutely. And it is great, right? The more eyes we have on it, the better the situation is going to get for everyone. I think that overall, um, the point that uh, um, there are so many companies that went to China and asked Chinese factories to produce very cheaply, Comes from American consumer, right? So mm-hmm. uh, as long as we have a consumer here who wants to buy a T-shirt for ten dollars, there's going to be a problem—not uh, just in China, but in many other countries that 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 have low uh, labor pay. Right. Uh, and so it it, it it and and I we see a shift in consumer behavior. A yo- younger generation um, want sustain are willing they are willing to pay higher prices for uh, longer lasting items in their wardrobe and not only in one drop in in, in all the products that they're using
0: mm-hmm. so
1: this shift is happening in consumer behavior and it's going to influence the industry here and in china do you think
0: it's on track then to break that that consumer habit on on the grand scale uh, you know when you think of just how much product and um you know customers all of the the big fast fashion companies are dealing with it's 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 a huge huge number even if a subset set of people are kind of over it at this point um, you know how long do you think do you think that they're like what could cause those big companies to fail
1: see I don't think it's a conversation about those companies failing I think that those companies are going to shift uh, their product lines and their uh, and, and the, the products that they're bringing to address uh, the what consumers want so we're going to see better products from them that last longer. That are less trend driven, that are more essential and can stay in wardrobe for longer.
0: That's interesting. So it's, it has to happen within within these companies, and you know, obviously, H and M's have they have sustainability efforts. Do you think that those are are doing, you know, uh, making good progress or are our, you know uh, sincere?
1: Yes, absolutely. I do think so.
0: Great. We'll have to watch how those you know play out and hopefully they'll they'll take over bigger and bigger parts of the company um right. before before we run out of time i also wanted to ask about um you guys opened a, you have one store in, in in california or have you opened more since then
1: we actually have four stores in california we oh, have one wow. in san francisco in corte madera walnut creek and hillsburg we just opened our fourth store in hillsburg which is um, heart and, of wine country
0: mm-hmm. one- right. <laughs> so you're taking a state-by-state approach or you know what 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 locations are next
1: yeah, absolutely. So we're definitely, there's still a lot to do here in California. Uh, so we are looking at uh, Southern California. We're also going to be developing more of our presence online because many of our customers want to have that conversation online and not just in stores. Um,
0: and so how have you, and I think that space of, of online brands moving into the, the physical store space is one that we cover and, and talk about a lot. Um, you know, what did you learn about your customers once you were able to actually get that that in-store experience um, presence. Obviously for, for customers, it, it gives them a chance to feel and experience the clothing um, in real life before before buying it. But on the other side, what, you know, what did you learn about them?
1: This is a great question. Uh, we actually discovered the customer so much more when we started opening stores. What we understood was, uh, first of all, that they want to have a relationship with the brand. They want to stay in stores longer. They want to talk much longer. They want to hear the story and they want to have a special experience the fact that they you know get out of their house uh, and go somewhere they do want to talk to another human being and they want to be seen mm-hmm. so they want to also tell their story and you know talk about their personal life and also share their needs with the brand so we saw we, we received so much insight into their lifestyle and, and the products that they want to have that we mm-hmm. were not able that we were not able to capture before
0: right and then yeah. you go to the slack channel. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. <laughs> let's let's leave off with like a huge huge question that is impossible to be answered in in 30 seconds. But what do you think, you know, for the next when you envision the next phase of sustainability for for the fashion industry, what do you think what do you what do you hope is done? What do you think needs to be done for for, you know, not not full-blown 100% sustainable fashion industry, but just for the next step of progress. What do you think that's going to be?
1: Look, I think that the innovation is really important here and, and uh, what's happening in the fabric industry innovation, especially in China, is extremely interesting and we are following that very closely. Um, the more alternative uh, fabrics um, are designed that, um, you know, that, uh, that do not use as, as many natural resources, don't use as much water, don't require pesticides, um, are, are kind to the environment, um, the more the better. And we, we know that uh, the brands are willing to, to investigate and to uh, work with these new fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's definitely the first and most immediate step. The, the point of understanding the customer and to design uh, exactly what the customer needs. Right. So communicating, collecting the data on the customer and and, and, have, and having very clear understanding. Um. Is, uh, is is the second step.
0: Right. It seems like any any brand that has um, traditionally relied on like a 12 month production process just sort of um, you know thinking that they know what what their consumers want, ordering a bunch of it and then marking it all down six months later that any brand that, that sort of lives by that is failing now. Absolutely. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much, Anna for for calling in and joining us. Um, that's all the that's all the time we have, but but thanks for again. This is a really interesting conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having this conversation with me.
0: Great. And and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes and Stitcher and leave us any feedback you have.